MSW Media. Thanks to Dipsy for supporting the Daily Beans. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to light a spark or heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. You can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, August 25th, 2022. Today, the deadline for the Department of Justice to provide recommended redactions to the Mar-a-Lago search warrant affidavit to Judge Reinhardt is today. President Biden cancels up to $20,000 in student loan debt and halves repayment for remaining balances. The DOJ releases the March 2019 Bill Barr memo in full, showing just how far the former AG was willing to go to cover up Donald's crimes. The Department of Justice charges five members of the militant group known as the B-Squad for their participation in the insurrection. And Congressional Republican Steve Perry files a lawsuit to stop the Department of Justice from looking at the phone stuff he confiscated, but then quickly moves to pause his request. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everybody. It's AG Allison Gill. Dana's on vacation. Well, I think she's working. She's on. A, I think she's doing comedy on a cruise ship heading to Iceland, doing all sorts of cool things, gallivanting around the world. I'm holding down the fort for us while she's gone, having fun. And uh, I wish I was with her. I'm kind of jealous. I think (laughs) I've never been to Reykjavik and I've always wanted to go. But uh, we love her. We miss her. She'll be back soon. We have the good news later on. We have a lot of good news in the hot notes today as well. So uh, the news has been really uplifting lately, particularly in the justice sector. But we have some beans come true. We've got a clip for you. It's going to be great trying to think. I just, again, I wanted to thank everybody who came out to Largo Monday evening for myself, Midas Touch, the How We Win podcast, Frangela, they do uh, the Final Word podcast, and of course, Brian Tyler Cohen from his show, No Lie, along with the imitable Kathy Griffin. It was so much fun, and thank you, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the recording of the live show yesterday on The Beans. So, without further ado, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up, Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice have decided not to appeal the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals decision to release in full the March 2019 Bill Barr memo that uh, he and others used to spin the Mueller findings. I'm going to go over the entire memo in detail in a bonus episode of Mueller She Wrote for patrons, much like I did the appeals court decision to release it. If you're not a patron, you can become one and you'll get this show ad free along with bonus Muller She Wrote content and bi-weekly Zoom Q&A happy hours by going to patreon.com slash Muller She Wrote. But I'll give you a summary here. First of all, Barr Engel, the paydag, which is the principal assistant deputy attorney general O'Callaghan and Rod Rosenstein decided in the face of clear evidence of obstruction of justice of the Mueller investigation, not to pursue prosecution of obstruction And the reasons they give are totally outside of the law. They're idiotic. They're designed to whitewash the crimes the former president committed. They allege that in order to charge someone with obstruction of justice, there must be an underlying crime. Uh, First, that's not true. If I destroy documents about an attempted bank robbery being investigated by the feds, that's obstruction, regardless of whether bank robbers got away with it. And if that were the case... You know, everyone knows that there weren't charges brought for a conspiracy 
because of the obstruction. That's what obstruction does, is it obstructs investigations. But Barr et al. also argue that it's not obstruction if you're just mad about being investigated, which is also idiotic. They contend that Donald couldn't have obstructed justice when he asked McGahn, for instance, to lie about a press report simply because he believed the press was lying, especially since they weren't. They do concede that later on in the memo that there doesn't need to be an underlying crime. Uh, We know that. Uh, And you don't have to go through with the obstruction. That was another argument. Like they told Don McGahn to obstruct, but McGahn didn't do it. So that's not obstruction. That's also false. So they concede there doesn't need to be an underlying crime, but they rely on vague prosecutorial discretion as their reason for determining the crimes didn't amount to obstruction when Mueller showed clearly that several of the crimes did meet all three elements. I think four of them met all three elements. And Barr concludes that pardoning people doesn't count because of the broadness of the pardon power, even though he testified that pardoning someone in exchange for silence would amount to obstruction of justice. And besides, why are they deliberating whether or not to charge a sitting president when they have an Office of Legal Counsel memo that says, no, you can't? And the good argument for keeping this sealed under deliberative process would have been, well, we were trying to decide what sort of lies to tell the public and Congress. That's why we went through this hypothetical exercise without constitutional considerations. You know, if he wasn't the president, would this amount to obstruction of justice? And we've decided it doesn't because, you know, hating someone and, you know, relying on it. It's just absolutely an exercise in spin. And it's absolutely I like I'm going to go over it in detail. I'm going to read you the memo. We're going to do a whole episode on it. And again, that's going to be Mueller She Wrote. It's going to be for patrons. So go to patreon.com slash Mueller She Wrote. You can sign up and you'll get the beans ad free. You'll get this show totally ad free. It's only like 36 bucks a year. So do I know if Garland is going to incorporate any of these obstructive acts into any future prosecution? What, you know, the stuff that came out of the Mueller report? I don't know. Do I think he should? Yeah, I think he should. But that might be harder than I know. Because I don't, you know, once a a case is closed and once uh, an attorney general makes a determination that something does not meet the burden and they use prosecutorial discretion, which they can to make that determination, I don't know that you can just open it back up. Maybe you can, but maybe it's very difficult. And, And again, maybe these crimes are tied to more current crimes. The criming hasn't stopped. You don't start the statute of limitations clock until the criming stops. So I don't know if he's going to prosecute. I do think he, sh- he should. But what's clear is Garland did not go out of his way to prevent this memo from seeing the light of day, nor did he make any winning arguments to prevent it, which he easily could have. It's also quite clear that Barr was part of the cover-up of not only the breadth of the Russian interference, but also of the investigation's findings for obstruction. So... And today is the deadline for the Department of Justice to provide recommended redactions to the Mar-a-Lago search warrant affidavit to Judge Reinhardt so that he can determine whether it's even worth releasing. I hope his decision is that the redactions would make the release meaningless and, uh, you know, only help Republicans foment hate and division. And therefore, I hope he decides not to release any of it. I hope he comes out and says, look, these redactions are so, there's so many of them that what's left is just gibberish. And it could be used by nefarious people to make shit up, basically. I know Andrew Torres and I went over this in detail. 
in yesterday's Clean Up on Aisle 45 pod, if you want to listen to that. And um, in a related story today from The Post, and this is big, about two dozen boxes of presidential records stored in the White House residence were not returned to the National Archives and Records Administration in the final days of his term, even after the archives officials were told by a Trump lawyer that the documents should be returned. So this is when they're at the White House. A Trump lawyer told the archives they should be returned. And that's according to an email from a top lawyer at the National Archives. Quote, it is also our understanding that roughly two dozen boxes of original presidential records were kept in the residence of the White House over the course of Trump's last year in office and have not been transferred to the National Archives. Despite a determination by Pat Cipollone in the final days of the administration that they need to be. That, again, is Gary Stern, the chief counsel for the National Archives. And that's an email to Trump lawyers in May of 2021. That's according to a copy reviewed by The Post. Cipollone, former White House counsel designated by Trump as one of his representatives to the archives. A spokeswoman for Cipollone did not comment. The previously unreported email sent about 100 days after the former president left office with the subject line, need for assistance regarding presidential records, shows just how early archives officials realized that many documents were missing from the Trump White House. It also illustrates the myriad efforts archives officials made to have those documents returned over an 18-month period, culminating with the FBI execution of a search warrant at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence earlier this month. Stern, chief counsel at the archives, does not say in the email how he determined the boxes were in Trump's possession. He wrote that he also had consulted another Trump lawyer during his final days of the presidency without any luck. Quote, I also raised this concern with Scott in the final weeks, Stern wrote in the email, the May 2021 email, referring to Trump lawyer Scott Gast, who was also copied on the email. In that email, Stern again asked for the documents from Trump's residence to be returned. This is more evidence throwing cold water on the right-wing talking point that the search warrant was a total surprise to Donald. I've been cooperating this whole time. I gave them everything. I was completely surprised to find out they had come to my house. No, you weren't. It's also of note that Cipollone and Philbin have provided testimony to the grand jury in this case, as well as the fraudulent elector investigation at the Department of Justice. And speaking of that probe, from Kyle Cheney at Politico, Rep. Scott Perry is suing to block the Justice Department from reviewing the contents of his cell phone, which was recently seized as part of an apparent investigation into the Pennsylvania Republicans' connections to former President Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. FBI agents seized Perry's phone on August 9th, transported it to the custody of the Department of Justice Inspector General, which has helped lead the inquiry into the push by Trump and his allies to replace the department leadership as part of a broader drive to keep Trump in power. Investigators have cited Perry as a key participant in that effort, given his help connecting Trump with Clark. That's the DOJ official who Trump viewed as an ally. But Perry indicated in his recent filing that the DOJ has not yet accessed materials on his phone, which is the proper way, and is in the process of obtaining a second search warrant that would guide its review, including a process to screen out potentially privileged materials. That's how this shit works. That's how it worked with the Eastman phone. Perry is objecting to that, demanding the government be blocked from scouring his phone and that it return any data in its possession. And again, I think Perry will lose here, just like Eastman did. Perry says Department of Justice, you know, planning on getting that second warrant. I mean, he he disagrees with that somehow, but we've already seen this is the proper procedure, especially when you're going from Office of Inspector General to the Department of Justice. 
they're kind of putting a independent, nonpartisan investigatory body, the Department of Justice Office Inspector General, in between the DOJ and Scott Perry here, right? And we know that the Office of Inspector General opened up an investigation on January 25th of 2021. That's just, what, two weeks after the attack on the Capitol? They opened an investigation into whether the Department of Justice nefariously tried to help Trump overturn the election. Specifically, Jeff Clark, right? And that's where Perry and Eastman come in. So whether or not the DOJ is connecting the Office of Inspector General Jeffrey Clark investigation to the broader fraudulent elector scheme investigation, because we know Clark wrote that letter to Georgia saying, hey, certify this uh, alternate slate of electors because we're investigating, you know, election malfeasance in your in your area. I, I think it's connected. I see the conspiracy and Eastman's six point coup plan. I put those two things together. God, middle of last year. But I think he'll lose this. But here's the thing. Perry has now asked the court to hold his request in abeyance for his request for emergency relief in abeyance pending further communication with the government. Meaning, hang on with my lawsuit. That lawsuit I just filed? Hold on a second. We're talking to the government here. We could reach an agreement. And the judge, Gia Cobb, Judge Gia Cobb, who is a Biden appointee, has ordered the motion be held in abeyance pending the outcome of those discussions. And then in late breaking news, just a few minutes ago, in a minute order, this case was reassigned from Judge Giacob to Chief Judge Beryl Howell because it relates to another case. Is it the fraudulent elector scheme? Is it the Clark thing, you know, putting him in power at DOJ? Is it both? Are they the same thing? A, a reminder, Judge Beryl Howell oversees grand jury investigations. So there's that. We'll have more on that as it develops. And federal authorities have arrested and charged five members of another militia group allegedly run by a former candidate for Congress for their actions on January 6th. In a criminal complaint, it names one of the five individuals, Brian Preller, who, according to court records, was arrested in Vermont in connection with this case. Four of the individuals face felony counts of civil disorder, while one faces two misdemeanors. The other men are John Edward Crowley, Jonathan Allen Rockholt, Tyler Quinton Bench, and Benjamin Cole. That's according to a federal official speaking to NBC. Crowley, Rockholt, and Bench were set to appear in federal court in the Middle District of Florida on Wednesday. Cole is set to appear in the Western District of Kentucky. The individuals all refer to themselves as members of the B-Squad and were associated with the Three Percenters movement. That's according to authorities. They wore Guardians of Freedom logos on January 6th. The name B-Squad references to Plan B, according to the FBI affidavit, which is something that you release after people are charged. (laughs) Take note, Donald Trump. That uh, Plan B is a reference to an alternate plan in place if they do not get the desired electoral outcome, meaning the former president doesn't remain in power. What's Plan B? That's what B-Squad was doing. And today in Beans Come True, let's listen to my prediction eight days ago, from the August 17th Daily Beans episode called Surrounded by Supporters. My beans? Give me the beans! Is, he's going to forgive 10000 of everyone's student loans. I wish he would do more, but I think he's, uh, he's stuck on this 10000 number. But that might have been a leaked story so that he could come out and do more and everybody will be really surprised and happy. That's true. 
But I think he's I think he's going to cancel that student debt and pause the repayment. I think he'll do both. Well, he did both. And he did more than just the 10,000. President Biden announced today he's forgiving $10,000 of student debt for everyone with federal loans and 20,000 for people who also got Pell Grants, which means lower income individuals. And he's extending the repayment pause until December 31st. And, and this is the biggest part, the mainstream media is leaving this out. He is capping your monthly payment at 5% of your discretionary income. Discretionary income is income after you pay all your rent and bills and shit. So 5% is, is the cap. That is half of what it was. It was 10% before. So your payments on you know income-driven repayment plans will be half of what they were. And not only that, he is capping the repayment period for your balance to 10 years if your balance after forgiveness is $12,000 or less and 20 years if it's more than that. So after you make your payments, which will be half what they used to be, For 10 years or 20 years, depending on your balance, the remainder will be forgiven, written off. And that's how he, this is his creative way of dealing with the interest rate bullshit, right? So you just don't perpetually keep paying these loans, you know, on into infinity. Nope. After 10 years, you're going to pay half as much. And after 10 years, the rest is forgiven. And, you know, if your balance is $12,000 or less, more than that, after 20 years, balance, boom, wiped out. So you're not going to get this rolling interest that just keeps going and going forever. And because if, you were, if we were going to change the interest rates or do something with that, you have to go through Congress for that. He couldn't do it through executive order. So he's, he's decided to do it this way to address that problem of just perpetually paying student loans because of high interest rates until you die. Also, borrowers who are public servants have until the end of October to apply for forgiveness of payments after 10 years since he fixed the public service loan forgiveness program which was just impossible to get before. And it wouldn't, it, you had to have consecutive 10 years of payments. Now it's not non-consecutive. And many of the payments didn't count if you were in deferment for COVID. It was just a mess. It was just a big pile of no. And so he's changing that. So if you were a public servant, make sure you find out and apply for this new, like better and faster and easier to navigate federal student loan forgiveness program. All right. 23 million people now have half the debt they did before. 20 million Americans have had their entire student debt wiped away. One in four black borrowers now have no student debt. And those with a remaining balance, as I said, will make half the payment they were for a much shorter period of time. And repayment has been delayed again through the end of the year. Awesome. Beans come true. Promises made, promises kept. Dark Brandon in effect. All right, we'll be back with more good news right after this. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Are you a little anxious, stressed out, feeling a little overwhelmed? Need some more downtime, some me time? These feelings can make it difficult to shift gears and get in the mood. But with Dipsy, you can focus on what makes you feel good so you can enjoy your time alone and your alone time. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring a wide variety of scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who or what you're into or what turns you on, you can find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent, the cute bartender that works down the street, or even hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. Hmm? You'll hear these sexy voices of uh, Sarunas, Jay Jackson, ER Fightmaster, Luke Cook, and many others in stories like you've never heard before. It's quite the experience. 
Dipsy is your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, heat things up with a partner if you want. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. That's 30 days of full access for free. When you go to Dipsy, that's D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash dailybeans, dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. Hey, everyone. Uh, This just in, just a real quick little bit of late-breaking news. The Department of Justice is seeking... 210 months. That's 17 and a half years for a sentence that would be by far the longest so far for January 6th defendant Thomas Webster. He's a former NYPD officer convicted of assaulting a cop at the Capitol. And this is the sentencing memo that just came down. Um, That is that is quite quite a long time. And uh, we'll have more detail on that probably tomorrow during tomorrow's beans. But uh, let's get that's so that's good news that they they want that long of a sentence, 17 and a half years for for a former cop assaulting a cop. Whew. But um, if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, Halloween photos, adoptable pets in your area, if you want to play What the Mutt, where I try to guess the breed mix of your of your rescue pup, send it in. Send it all to us. I really I love cat pictures, too. Any pet photos, really your happy place. You want to give a shout out to your spouse or somebody special in your life who just need some awesome words said about them because they're awesome. And we just want to sit around and enjoy their awesomeness. Sorry, I had to go mean girls there for a second. Please send it to us, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. All righty. First up from Heather Ann, pronouns she and her. I adopted a dog. I always said I'm a cat person, but the Friday before last, I got in my head that I wanted a dog. I have a fenced yard. I have a big bag of dog food and various paraphernalia for a large dog. So something just got in me that I needed a dog. I spent the day poring over shelter websites, narrowing it down to three I thought might be a fit for me and my low-key personality, and then Saturday morning drove 50 miles to the Sacramento SPCA and asked to meet Shadow. The staff was thrilled that someone wanted to meet Shadow. He was so stressed by the shelter environment, they had him highly sedated with trazodone. I realized I'd be taking home a dog that was to be quite different when he sobered up. He had a bit of a cough at the shelter, which they told me they thought was just from barking and whining so much. They didn't think it was kennel cough. I had to pay out of pocket at my local vet because I couldn't afford the time to take him all the way back to Sacramento midweek so they could treat him. Also, he had two seizures on day three with me, but my vet said that may be just anomaly because of all his stress. And it hasn't happened again since. My vet prescribed a cough suppressant. He told me I could stop the trazodone. So by now, I think I have the real shadow. He is such a good boy. He's six years old. They said they thought he's a lab retriever mix. I take him for a walk every morning when I get up and every night when it cools off a bit. The first weekend, he was lifting his leg on my living room walls, even with the back door wide open. But I just had to be trained to walk him outside regularly enough. And he figured out the peeing is supposed to be done outside. Today, when I walked him, he picked the best spot to pee. I have neighbors down the street that still have a Trump MAGA 2020 flag hanging at the end of their fence. The flag hangs low enough to touch the ground. And yeah, Shadow lifted his leg on that today. What a good boy. So far, Shadow is perfect, except one thing. He chases the cats. Leo and Bagheera are indoor-outdoor cats. They're taking a hard pass on coming inside now. I bought a gate for the middle of my house, and I can tell 
they came in and ate good last night. I go out and give them canned food every night before I go to bed, but I'm up at four. So I got to figure out how to get these kiddos back inside before the rain and snow comes. I went into this so fast, I may have blown the chance for friendly introductions between them. Any suggestions? Oh, look at this good boy. Oh, he's so cute. The kitties can take time. Sometimes we would do like a sequestration and a slow intro. So maybe, you know, put the dog in the bathroom or the cats in the bathroom and then let them sort of sniff each other under the door a little bit and just do that a few times or, you know, just separate them with a door, whether it's bedroom, bathroom, whatever. We also would put a baby gate up and have the dog hang out in the kitchen for a while while the cats slowly came in to see if that works. I don't know if this dog looks pretty athletic, might be able to jump over that little gate, but I think they'll get used to each other. It just takes some time. And uh, this is just a handsome boy. Yeah, definitely looks like a lab mix to me. And your kitties are so precious. Hello, kitties. Thank you for that so much. And thanks for adopting. Next up from anonymous pronouns, he and him, just me and my happy place fighting cancer with the help of my three furry friends, Miller, who's 10, Winnie, who's eight, and Mac, one and a half. These guys have helped me through my darkest times. Oh, look at the babies. (gasps) Hi, babies. These look like a trio of goldens. Oh, yeah, Anonymous, my my pops had pancreatic cancer and the dog and and he became inseparable. Named Shadow, believe it or not, from (laughs) we have a shadow from the last story. But that, you know, the dog, they were very, very close and the dog helped him through it, to be honest. Next up from Helen, pronoun she and her. Greetings, ladies of the Leguminati. I wanted to drop a quick note of thanks. I've been listening for at least a couple of years now. I feel so much smarter after each podcast. Many thanks for the breakdown of the news so that this accidental political analysis junkie can listen, understand, and keep my partner a bit calmer about the veritable avalanche of news. Y'all have been a huge help in keeping me sane and grounded, as well as keeping me company during lockdown. I also wanted to share with everyone a side hustle I've got going on, complete with a quick story about said hustle. I work in tech. Now, I have for the last 25 years. Prior to that, I had a business that started because many of my college friends had babies in a ridiculously short amount of time. I never liked going to Babies R Us as it made my head explode. Instead, I started making baby blankets using the softest and loudest prints I could find in cotton flannel, and they were a huge hit with my friends. This turned into a business that I named Blankies by Helen. I was a fixture at different craft fairs in Western Washington for a couple of years until I found that I needed more gainful employment and went back to school. My sewing then became a lot more about fun and diversion, with a very occasional blankie being made for nephews, nieces, or close friends who needed a gift. After Roe v. Wade was struck down, and after the school shooting at Uvalde, I felt helpless in the face of all the tragedy we've collectively experienced. While I already donate to NNAF, I feel like there was more I could do. So I went to Joanne's, found some of the loudest and softest flannel prints, found my 110,000 labels from my business, and started an Instagram account called Blankies by Helen. I'm putting my blankies up for sale with a chunk of the proceeds going toward charities that benefit the greater good. I use the Instagram stories to announce the charity I'll be supporting for a period of time. I've included a couple of pictures to show the size. They're roughly 40 inches square and a couple of prints I picked out. Finally, I want to send a shout out to the folks who moved to the southwest of France with their cat. Y'all are my heroes and answered the question of how I'd get my chorus of judgment overseas as it's my goal to retire to France as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It was incredibly helpful. Instagram is blankies by Helen, B-L-A-N-K-I-E-S, blankies by Helen. 
and that will be in the show notes. These are so beautiful. Oh, these are really amazing, Helen. These are gorgeous. We've got a um, navy blue background with rainbow, looks like dinosaurs and volcanoes and turtles, all sorts of reptiles. That's beautiful. We've got a, a dark blue one with looks like candy skull cats. That's gorgeous. Oh, these are amazing. Thank you for sharing this. And this this first one is is so cute too. So again, that's at Instagram, Blankies by Helen. So thanks for sending that in. Next up, Lisa Mia Moore. She, her. Just got home from How We Win. Great show. And I got a fangirl hug, Ben and Angela. <laughs> and my new sunflower is having a baby. So I'm a grandma. Look at that. Oh yeah, look, it's a baby sunflower. If you couldn't make it to the live show, you can still support the How We Win Fund by ordering your Crimes and Crimes and Crimes t-shirt now available at dailybeanspod.com. There's also a link for that in the show notes. The sunflower is beautiful. Thank you for being there. Appreciate you, Lisa. Next up from Jessica, pronouns she and her. Hi, beanie babies. I wrote in last year with good news about my daughter. I'd finally been able to visit after she was moved into a mental health facility hours away in Southern California, right at the beginning of COVID lockdown. In July, she was finally moved back to my county in Northern California. She's in a less restricted environment. I'm able to visit her regularly. It had been hard to communicate with her over the long distance, and so much of our time is spent rebuilding our relationship. She's doing well and seems much more calm than I've ever seen her. It's a blessing having her closer. For my pod pet tax, I've included a new photo of my feral Oreo. Last year, for the first time, I had him shaved since he was very fine soft fur that matched terribly. Because he's feral, I have to catch him to do anything with him, so grooming is difficult. It was so nice to see him feeling pain-free and cooler, so I took him again this summer to have him shaved. What's different is that I had gone out of town for a couple weeks and had a friend pet and house sit for me. He got Oreo to take treats for the first time. I had tried before and he was just too scared. Now he has realized treats are awesome. He will sit and watch me at my computer for hours waiting for me to put treats down for him. Now I have a stalker. Look at this. The mustache, the little Van Dyke on this guy. <gasps> Look at uh... Oh, he's so adorable. Tuxedo, got the white floof coming out of the ears, the milk whiskers, and this just little goatee and mustache combo that is just adorable. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I love his fuzzy boots too. I bet his fuzzy pants are great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please send me your photos and good news stories. Shout outs to your spouses, significant others, friends, parents, kids, anything you want to send. You can do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I will be back tomorrow. And uh, next week, I have a special treat for a Flip It Blue segment. I am interviewing a candidate for U.S. Senate. His name is Brian Bangs. He's running against John Thune in, in South Dakota. You don't want to miss that. So tune in next week for that. And tune in tomorrow for more beans. Not sure what else news could possibly happen this week, but I have a feeling tomorrow is going to be one of those long intro days. So I'll see you then. Until then, please take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been A.G., and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs> 